to do if somebody is in mental health crisis? Mental health crisis can happen to anyone at any time. It is very frightening when somebody is talking about suicide, especially for parents if it is your child. Do you feel equipped to handle mental health crisis? If you would like to learn how to detect the signs of mental health crisis, you're in the right place. Today, we are going to talk about how to detect the signs and prevent the devastating effects of mental health crisis. And we're also going to talk about a resource called Mental Health First Aid. It will help you to be more confident in your ability to help a youth or a young child in crisis and get the help as they need. So are you ready? Today joining us is Megan Boyle. She is the Director of Children's Intensive Services at Campus Health, Licensed Independent Clinical Social Worker and Certified Youth Mental Health First Aid Trainer. Hi, Megan. Hi. And I am Dr. Rosina. I have been helping people with depression, anxiety, and stress for the last 20 years. I'm an MD psychiatrist at Shifa Health, a clinical professor at University of Washington, and author of the best-selling book, Stress to Joy. And you are watching and listening to Happy and Healthy Mind with Dr. Rosina, a weekly show where we share practical tips for your mental fitness. Today, we are talking about signs of mental health crisis especially in youth. So what can parents do? So Megan, can you share why you think it is important for everyone to learn about mental health crisis and signs in early stages? Sure. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so passionate about this subject and I'm so glad to be able to share it with your audience here. So I'll start just by telling a story of how I saw this really in action with one of the parents that attended one of our classes. So we had a woman who attended mental health first aid because she had just recently gotten a job working at a youth shelter. Uh, So she was there to get information about how she might be able to help support young people that she would be working with. And she was really engaged in the training, asked a bunch of great questions. And then the next day we received an email from her just letting us know that she had really appreciated the training. And she had gone home that night and really been thinking about what we had talked about. And she had been reflecting on some of the things that she had been noticing in her own daughter. She had noticed that she had been a little bit more withdrawn and something just seemed a little off. And she had really thought about how we had coached her and talked about ways to offer support. And she was able to confront her daughter and ask about how she had been doing. And her daughter ended up revealing that she had been thinking about suicide. And this woman had come back to us. It was so nice to get feedback. She had come back to us and just let us know that had she not taken that course, she wouldn't have even thought or felt comfortable enough to ask that direct question about what was going on for her. And she was able to immediately connect her daughter with professional supports to get her some help. So that's just one example. And as a behavioral health provider, I have really seen the impact that it has when a young person who's struggling with mental health needs has the support of caring adults in their family, friends, and community that can really change the course of their whole treatment. That's wonderful, inspiring story. So thank you for sharing. As you know, I've been working on a book on depression for parents, and I think it would be a great resource for people to learn. And so let me ask the audience, people who are here, can you share, have you guys heard about this mental health first aid? Can you share, Megan, what actually is mental health first aid? And what is it for? 
Sure. Mental health first aid is the first step in helping a young person who might have some signs and symptoms of a mental illness. So this is a course similar to physical health. If we're thinking about like CPR first aid, a lot of us take that course to be able to help someone if they're having some kind of physical health crisis. And similar to like a CPR class, uh, there's a whole spectrum of things that could happen. So if I'm thinking about taking that first aid CPR class, I'm learning how to, on one end of the spectrum, apply a bandage to someone who might be bleeding, as well as help someone who could be in a car accident until help arrives. Similarly, mental health first aid is really helping us be supportive and in tune with young people who might be having some symptoms of a mental health situation. And sometimes those are easily resolved on the low end of the spectrum. They're just looking for that one supportive adult up into a mental health crisis where someone could be suicidal or self-harming, where they really need professional help. And that mental health first aider would be the supportive person until professional help is available. So everybody should know about or learn about it. Everybody should. And we're all working, whether we have our own children or people in our family who are young people, we're all around people every day. So at the grocery store, at the library, in schools, if you're a coach, there's just, you're always around someone who could potentially need your help. And just being that one person who's confident enough to be supportive and ask some questions is really a big deal. That's wonderful. So we are going to share the link in the comments and when you would sign up for, for the resources by texting JOYFUL to 38470. So let's move on to uh, review some of the signs and symptoms for our listeners today. So what are the warning signs of mental health crisis? Sure. So, you know, I just want to start by saying mental health problems are common. So in young people, we're looking at about one in four young people are experiencing some sort of symptom of a mental health disorder. And for people, just for people to know, a half of mental health symptoms developed by age 14 and three quarters by age 24. So adolescence, which is already a busy time in someone's life, that's when we're really noticing that those symptoms begin. So it's really important for us to keep our eyes out. So things that we're looking for are really um, what is different about this person today? So mental health disorders affect a person's thinking, emotions, and behavior. And so we're looking to see how their symptoms might be interfering with their ability to work and attend school, to engage in meaningful relationships, and to carry out daily activities. So how are those symptoms impacting their ability to do any of those things? And when there is a significant impact, that's when we're, those are real warning signs that we need to take action. And so let's see if there's a woman who has a kid whom she notices, you know, some of these changes, what can she do? How to assess? I know we can't go in the full detail, but if you can give us the brief understanding so that our audience can benefit. Absolutely. So the first step is really to assess for risk. So we are looking to see, you know, what is really going on? How much is this really impacting their life? And I always say that the first step is to approach the young person with your observation. So starting a conversation with, I've noticed this. And that can be kind of a relief for our young person because a lot of times there's some shame involved in those feelings or they might be reluctant to talk. But letting them know from the very beginning that we're comfortable having a conversation is really important. All right, so what's the second one? 
The second one is listening non-judgmentally. So this can be pretty tricky. It sounds so easy, but as adults, sometimes it's hard for us to remember what life was like as an adolescent. And so this is a period of time where we are just there, sitting, listening, being open to what the youth might have to say. We have to set aside our own beliefs and just let them talk because that's what they really need in that moment. Oftentimes, it's really a relief for them to have an opportunity to talk, and there's a lot they've been holding inside. So we share with people in our class that it's really important to come into that conversation prepared because they might share things that are very difficult to hear and make you very worried. But knowing that you have the skills to respond after that, if that information does come up, can be really helpful. So just be prepared. And we also like to let people know that you want to have a plan after that conversation. So if you need to talk to someone about what you heard or seek professional help, that's okay too. Yeah. I've had several friends call me and text me early morning saying, do you have time to talk? <laughs> yeah. Many times they say, oh, my, my child is uh, talking suicide. What can I do? So yeah, it is very frightening. You know, people say this word non-judgmentally. So I just want to go a little bit in detail of that. So when your child is saying, oh, I feel like I was feeling suicidal, do you say, don't think that it's a sin or something like that? You know, what what is non-judgmental response to listening? That's a great question. And I think that we all have to be so mindful of that when we're entering those conversations. So it means that, you know, sometimes I think we hear adolescents talk about like, this is the worst day of my whole life. And we want to run in there and correct them and say, oh, you know, things are going to get better or start offering advice to them. And really, we have to step back and understand that this is their experience. Uh, one of the things that I hear a lot from caregivers is that it's really hard because sometimes the youth who is very emotional might use language that's uncomfortable for us, like swearing, whatever. And that's a time where we're not going to get into that. It's the most important thing is to get information out of that conversation to really be able to support them and assess how it, if there are any risks. So we have to put our own stuff aside. Likewise, our own experience as young people was different. So this isn't, you know, a chance to compare war stories. And sometimes I think we do that in an effort to make the youth feel like we are really sharing their experience and we understand. But it can come across as judgmental and like we know better or our life was harder. And so we just have to be really careful. Yeah. So sometimes I tell tell my patients that, you know, if they are dealing with somebody with the problems, I say, I cannot understand what you're going through, but I can relate to. Tell me more. Yep. Why do you feel this or, you know, what is so horrible? And so using some open-ended questions to help them vent out may help them calm down and then they can start asking questions. And when they are asking questions, they're open to receive feedback. Then it's mm -hmm. okay to share your story or your perspective about it because then they are ready to listen to it. That's absolutely true. And, you know, sometimes we forget, you know, we're so focused on wanting to help problem solve because we're worried about these young people that just sitting there and focusing on them and letting them know that we're hearing them through our body language is most important. We talk a lot about how parents can do car therapy. You know, when you're driving and a kiddo is in the backseat, they sometimes feel a little bit more comfortable sharing because <laughs> you're not making eye contact and they think you're focusing on driving. Uh, you can get a lot of information. So if there's any tip that you take away from this today, talking in the car while you're doing some other activity can relieve a lot of pressure and really help them feel more comfortable. That's, that's wonderful. Thank you. So what's number three? 
Sure. So the number three is giving reassurance and information. So, so often people feel like they are the only one who's experiencing this. So really validating them that it's okay to feel this way and that they're not alone, that other people also have felt this way. Letting them know that you're always there to talk and to listen to them. But there's also other people available, professionals, if they want to talk about that, you can help them with that option. This is a place where we are being super mindful about not giving advice because this isn't the place for that. It's really just to reassure them that you're gonna be there to support them and validate that all feelings are okay and we're gonna be there to help them. Wonderful. And so you were going to share a resource with our audience. So why don't we show a little bit of what resource they're going to get? All right, so can you talk us through? Yeah, so we have provided here the flyer for our mental health first aid classes. These are offered for youth and adults. I am a youth trainer, and so I'm really focused on talking about young people, but we also have classes for adults. As you'll see on there, there are a few points. So if you're looking for, you know, reasons to take this class and reasons to get involved, it's really to help people become prepared, learn how to help. Mental health problems are really common. And so we want to make sure that we have enough people available to help young people when they're experiencing this. Showing people that you care. We are always looking for ways to help support people, friends and families. And so this class really helps us learn skills to start that conversation. And then we know that a lot of people with mental health issues really struggle alone. And so Taking this class helps us really insert ourselves into that conversation so people know that they aren't alone in this journey and that support is out there. The other part of our resource here are some local, well, actually, they're local and national behavioral health resources. And so we have information about our local crisis line, as well as different national resources. So if there's an emergency or you're just looking for information, you can reach out for help. One of the things that I want to point out that I think is so awesome is that the crisis line, both national and local, have text chat. So what we've noticed is that young people aren't always super comfortable picking up the phone to have a conversation with someone on a crisis line, but they're willing to text. And so that is something that in our community has been such a value added resource and that's available to anyone. Thank you for sharing the resource and we can put the links in the comment box and people can text joyful to 38470 and we'll send them the link. So so what are what is the fourth point? The fourth point is encouraging appropriate professional help. So what is really wonderful is that up to 90% of individuals get better with treatment. So a lot of times people have a misconception about what treatment is, especially young people. So they've heard all the war stories and they think, oh no, if I go to treatment, I'm going to be in therapy forever, or I'm going to have to go to the hospital. And the reality is just like any kind of healthcare, mental health treatment is on a spectrum. So some people just need that few sessions with a therapist to talk about what's going on. They get the support they need and off they go up to hospital level setting for things that are really complicated and intense, but most people never need that level of care. And there are so many great evidence-based practices out there that are very time limited. So a lot of times, most people can be treated within up to 12 sessions, which isn't that long if you think about it. I mean, I always am mindful of the fact that people, the median length of time it takes someone to get help is about 10 years, which is way too long to be suffering and struggling. And 
10 years going when you only need a short period of time of treatment to feel better. Yeah, I've seen it all the time. We had done another program and we are going to put the link to that program where I interviewed somebody living with depression and anxiety and he went for 20 years without treatment. And once he got treatment, he is, you know, thriving and doing so well. So, yeah, there is no need to suffer unnecessarily. So what's the fifth point? And then the last point is encouraging self-help and other support strategies. And, you know, we think a lot about treatment and many times people think professional help is the only option, but there's such a value in connecting people with their communities and helping reduce isolation. So there are a million resources in our community that sometimes we forget about or go on after we don't think of when we're helping support someone. So for example, we, in our class, we will do a brainstorm of local resources, but things like a community center, sports teams, the library, uh, boys and girls clubs, all of these are community resources that help surround that young person with other people and caring adults. So we want to make sure that we're helping them connect with other community groups that will make them feel good about themselves and connect them with helping adults. Yeah. Social connectedness is one of the five uh, wellness practices that have shown to reduce the depression and anxiety by 30 to 40 percent. There's another video we did on wellness practices with Dr. Sandra Jane, and I'm going to put the link in the comments. But so it is being hard for young adults right now with COVID-19 and this social isolation. And so sometimes people get confused between physical distancing and social isolation. Can you shed a little bit? That is really true. And one of the things that we on our team are really mindful of is that right now schools are closed and so, or many schools are, it's summer, so they're out, but they will be going back in a virtual setting. And there's so much that happens in that social development and those relationships when they're in person. So, so much beyond just academic learning. And so I know that there are some gaps that we're trying to fill. I think about tons of people who are being creative and trying out new virtual programming. So there are virtual camps that are available for kids. There are different groups. I know that gaming gets kind of a bad rap sometimes, but that is a way that people are having relationships and they are talking. So that might look different than what my socializing looked like as a child or adolescent, but they're still having relationships and that something that we should be encouraging. So you've talked about five points. I think it kind of the acronym LG. First one was? Assess for assess. risk. Second one? Listen non-judgmentally. Give Third. reassurance and information. Encourage appropriate professional help. And encouraging self-help and other support strategies. Wonderful. Thank you. So what message would you like to give to our audience? So the message really is that we know that suicide is the second leading cause of death for young people. That is too high. And we also know that mental health problems are common. About one in four young people have symptoms of a mental health disorder. And so this is a huge problem in all of our communities. No community is exempt from this. And so we need to find a way to take action as adults to help young people during this critical part of their development by supporting them and getting them on the right track in the help that they might need. So by taking mental health first aid, people are really learning skills to be able to be that one supportive adult that is the number one protective factor for a young person. So being that supportive adult who's 
available and able to ask hard questions and make sure that they're getting enough information and connecting that young person with both professional and community supports is really critical. And you can get these resources by texting JOYFUL to number 38470. Some people had difficulty figuring it out. So let me just walk you through. Once you text this number, you are going to get a link that would take you to this page. It has all the gifts that we give in these programs. So previous gifts are also listed. So you can get any of those gift gifts. And then if you click the mental health first aid, that would take you to this resource where all the links are shared. Just remember all the all this information is for educational purposes. And if you like what we share in these programs, please share with others that could benefit and join us every Saturday at 11 o'clock. Special for today is a cooling breath for anger control. And so what is a cooling breath? You no. Know, when you are feeling angry, you feel hot and tight and worked up, right? And so when you use different kind of techniques that may help you calm down, your, your brain may calm down and you'd be able to think clearly and be able to make wise decisions. So how do you do that? Ready to learn? So imagine a straw and imagine you're drinking something with a straw. How do you feel? Do you feel a little cold in your mouth? There's some coolness, right? And so it kind of calms your body down. One problem I have seen is then when people do the this breath, they suck the stomach in while they are breathing in. So just make sure that you're, you're not sucking your stomach in. When you're breathing in, push your stomach out. And so the way to change it if you're having that problem is breathe out first. And then breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in again. Breathe out. Breathe in again. Just three, three of those breaths and you would feel your body calming down and you'd be able to respond to whatever situation is in a wise manner. Remember that life is going to present many stressors in your life these stressors or challenges, the way you respond to them can become either cause for suffering or opportunity for growth. Every small step you take towards improving this response takes you from stress to joy. So take a step today and you can do it. Till next time, Dr. Rosino.